Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a bit of mystery surrounding our gospel lesson this evening. Our text renders the word, uh, the Greek word, magi, as wise men. I'll say magi, because that's how we say that word, but it is a gamma, which makes a guh sound. But anyway, magi is translated as wise men, and um, reality is there's no certainty as to where they came from, and the term magi can refer to a few different types of people. It could, uh, there's uh, four accepted definitions that are used in antiquity for this word magi. Um, one would be a priestly caste of the Persians. It's like a very specific family or group, you know, of priests. Um, it could also refer to a magician or a sorcerer. Uh, it could refer to a deceiver or a seducer. And then finally, probably the most general understanding of it is it could refer to someone who has a super, supernatural knowledge and ability. For example, someone who can interpret dreams or foresee the future. Um, typically, magis were servants of of uh, royalty, servants of the king, not kings themselves. But in our translation, it's rendered as wise men. And they were definitely not kings. My apologies to anyone that is a fan of the hymn, We Three Kings. Um, And you'll notice, by the way, that's not in our hymnal. You can look for it, it's not there. But they're not kings. And there might not have been three of them either. That's another thing, we don't know. Um... There were uh, three gifts, so I think from that, maybe tradition of three wise men. Could have been more. Probably not less than three, because that wouldn't quite fit. Um, The idea, though, comes from the gifts. There were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Some scholars say that those gifts are typical of what you would give to a king, an earthly king. At that time, they uh, express a a sort of typical gift for royalty. But then others say, no, no, there's something significant to what they are. Because gold, you would give to a king. Frankincense is a gift that you give to God. It's it's incense. It's consumed. It's a a sacrificial offering. It's a self-sacrifice, if you will. The incense is consumed completely. And so it is typically a gift that's given to God. And then myrrh is a burial spice. Myrrh would be used in preparation for burial. So it fits that those three gifts would be a sort of a, a, micro, a, a confession of Jesus as the Messiah. But maybe not. Like I said, some scholars say, nah, they're just, they're just uh, in spite of the rich symbolism that that would be, they're really just gifts for royalty. Um, you know, I, one of the commentaries that I always read is, is uh, on the New Testament is Richard Lenski's. Um, in his commentary on Matthew, he supports the conclusion that the Magi came from Babylon. We know in the text that they came from the east, but he says they came specific, specifically from Babylon. And he says that they were acquainted with the Jews and the prophecy of the Christ, the Messiah, and that they would be acquainted with that from the writings of Daniel. 
Because remember, Daniel was taken into captivity and he was in Babylon. And they would have had access to his writings even uh, 600 years later. And so um, Lenski then ascribes wisdom to the Magi. He says that uh, they understood the signs to look for the stars, uh, to watch the stars, to, to be alerted to this birth of the Messiah, the, the uh, king of the Jews. They were knowledgeable enough to know that Jerusalem would be the logical place, so they go to Jerusalem. But then, meanwhile, others uh, would say that the wise men came from elsewhere, um, certainly from the east, because that's what the text says, but not necessarily Babylon. No telling. They just came from the east. Maybe they read Daniel. Maybe they didn't. There is also uh, a little bit of a dispute over whether they actually came to worship, which is the word that's used in our translation. Um, Proskunesai, which is the word that gets translated as, as worship, actually can be, it can be translated as worship for sure, but it could also mean kissing the hand of someone or kneeling down before them. Um, so maybe they came to worship, maybe they came to give obeisance or like reverence that you would give to an earthly king. Could be either way. Lenski wouldn't agree with that. He says, no, no, they, they were going to worship. They knew who this was. But uh, Gibbs, which is the uh, author of the Concordia Commentary, says, no, nah, no, they, they, didn't, they didn't necessarily know who he was. And, and that word is, is misunderstood when it's translated worship. Should be more like gave, give reverence to the king. So, these historical facts I find interesting. You might also. And they are definitely worth exploring. However, there's not one bit of doctrine that turns on the specific details of where the Magi came from, how much they knew and understood of Jesus, uh, he who has been born king of the Jews, how wise they really were, whether there were three of them or 30, whether they worshiped or reverenced, and whether there was significance, symbolic significance in the gifts they brought or not. None of our doctrine really hinges on any of that. Those are all interesting historical details, but it shouldn't be a surprise that those details aren't filled in in the gospel because that's not necessary to the thrust of what, of what we are seeing in the gospel lesson. What is interesting and pivotal is that the Magi are Gentiles. They came from the east. The implication here is that they came from far away. They had to travel. They had to journey to come to Jerusalem. And they came not to Bethlehem, but Jerusalem. And once in Jerusalem, we read that Herod the Great, says Herod the King, but this is, there were multiple Herod, Herods. This is Herod the Great the one who built up the temple. He was a uh, not full Jew, so very paranoid about his kingdom being usurped by a true, authentic Jew, which is part of his, uh, probably part of the reason why he had uh, the, the, uh, wanted to murder the, uh, Jesus. 
But all of the town, uh, we're told, is alarmed too. But I don't think it's because they were alarmed that there was the king of the Jews born in Bethlehem. I think they were alarmed because when your despotic king Herod is not happy, it's not going to be good for you. So if King Herod is alarmed, they're alarmed also. The Magi came and they asked, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The chief priests and the scribes we see had a ready answer. Bethlehem. This was recorded in Micah 5 too, and they were fully aware of it and fully aware of the meaning of it. So they knew immediately he would be born in Bethlehem. That's where the king of the Jews would be born. That's where the Messiah would be born. Now think about this just for a minute. Gentiles, remember, are like dogs to the Jews. This is what a Gentile is. There is, in the Jewish mindset, there is the chosen people of God, the Jews, and then there's the whole rest of the world. Actually, the word that we translate Gentile is the word is ethne, which means which is what we get ethnicity from. It just means others. Sometimes it'll be translated the nations, but it just means others. So they bifurcated the whole world into Jew and dogs, basically, Gentiles. Now, I'm not saying they were unkind, that they didn't have cordial relations with Gentile kings and so forth. I mean, we know that they did. It was actually how they fell into sin many times. But the point is, they, the Gentiles were not the chosen people. But here we have Gentiles traveling from a far distance with a little bit of information about where this king of the Jews is. And they've come to pay their respects to him and to bring him gifts. Meanwhile, the chosen people, Israel, dwell in Jerusalem, which is seven miles from Bethlehem. You can walk there in two hours. It's not far. It's in their backyard. And yet, they know that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, but slips past them as though the Messiah's birth is nothing. But this is the significance of epiphany. The word... Epiphany, which means a a manifestation of a divine being. I mean, in our case, epiphany means the manifestation of Jesus Christ. It's Christ being revealed to all the world. We see that that tone in, in the epistle lesson from tonight, from Ephesians. Paul says, to me, was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God? The apostle Paul was given this mission of bringing the gospel that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that you are justified through faith to all the world. He started in the synagogues and then he went to all the Gentiles. He said, I was appointed to preach to the Gentiles. And this day of epiphany is observed is observed here, and it's not observed in all churches. Many churches, probably most churches, don't have a service tonight. I mean, there isn't a law requiring it, but there is a blessing and a benefit to it. See, today, on this day of Epiphany, we remember that Jesus Christ has 
was revealed to all people, including the Gentiles. And yet at the same time, not all people received him. In fact, his own people did not receive him. Gentiles came from miles away to greet the newborn king. And meanwhile, the Jews couldn't be bothered. And Herod lied and plotted to murder the king. Where do you stand? Are you eagerly looking for Christ to return? On this side of the cross, we we see what Christ has done for us. Now we look to the future and we know that Christ is returning. Do you live your life every day like, hey, he might just be returning tomorrow? Do you wake up in the morning and say, Christ might be returning today? Let this day, this epiphany, be a reminder to you that Jesus Christ has arrived, that he has revealed himself. He has revealed God the Father's love for you. For God the Father sent Jesus Christ to take upon himself all of your sins, to separate you from your sins as far as the east is from the west, to remember your sins no more, to cover you with a white robe of righteousness. You've been claimed in baptism. You've been raised to new life by the word of the gospel, which has been revealed to you. Christ has been revealed to you. You've entered the gates of heaven. When you come forward and receive this very sacrament, you enter the gates of heaven. May God the Father's love for you be revealed through God the Son's sacrificial death for your sins. And may God the Holy Spirit work faith in you that sees this promise and receives it with joy and thanksgiving on this day, the epiphany of our Lord. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.